0: Welcome
1: back to the Peruvian Waltz podcast after a very long COVID-19 induced hiatus. Joining me this evening is Christopher V. He's had a busy week with uh, the Peruvian Waltz this week. Maybe we'll... Tease that a little bit, Viz. How how are you, first of all? Well, I'm
0: doing great. Just happy that the weather's getting getting better here in Utah. You know, I I get to enjoy, you know, what the outside feels like for about two minutes every day when we go check the mail. That's probably about all I get of uh the outside nowadays. But really happy to, to be back. I feel like I would have to look at the archives to check when we last recorded a podcast i think life has kept us busy but other than that you know the the pandemic got in the way so i'm just just really happy to to be back on what may be, what uh record three
1: episodes that we release over in the next few days so yeah probably for the first time since copa america we when we were releasing almost daily podcasts like it was basically every two or three days um the last time we recorded well put up a podcast was about nine ten days ago when we released our uh, State of Peruvian Women's Football Special which was hosted by Brian Birdie. If you haven't listened to that, give it a listen. Some very insightful stuff. We had a couple of national teamers join us which was very very helpful. Uh, before that it was about a month ago after I believe it was the first round of the Libertadores actually which was like end of February or so that, yeah. That we, feels
0: like ages ago.
1: Yeah, it really does. Remember when nacional beats Sao Paulo? My god, that seems like ages like, wow, wow. <laughs>
0: yeah no kidding and then there was that that game against river afterwards that, Yeah. holy cow
1: yeah we won't wow. talk about that one anyway speaking of football and peruvian football we do have some things to talk about but obviously with the entire world dealing with uh, self-isolation and the outbreak of covid19 obviously peru was encapsulated in that uh, the country has basically shut down it's almost Basically, well, it is a lockdown, there have been curfews put in, but there are players abroad who are dealing with some very tight restrictions of their own. Uh, we'll get to those guys in a bit. Viz, I want to talk first of all, because a lot of players have obviously been trying to entertain themselves, much like we all are, during isolation. I have to say the MVP for Peru so far, uh, at least in terms of players for me, it has to be Luis Advincula. That man is just a ball of laughs.
0: Oh, to- totally, totally. I mean, that TikTok where he's trying to copy that famous, famous speech by uh, Cuto Guadalupe from the, I think it's the t- 2010 First Division Final. Man, it's, it's just hilarious. Even if you don't know what I'm talking about, like, just go look it up. Just Advincula TikTok. We, I, I kid you not, my wife and I watched that like three or four times like on repeat just because it was just so funny, just so, so funny. He, it's, he seems to be in good spirits, you know, even though Spain unfortunately has been one of the countries that has hit, been hit the hardest. He seems to be doing just fine, and and honestly, I I, I could you know I think all of us could use a laugh, so I I really appreciate his
1: humor. Indeed, and in other news, he also made some cupcakes today, which uh, at least according to him didn't come out the best. But practice makes perfect. He'll certainly have a lot of time until then, because it doesn't look like European leagues are going to resume until at least June at this point, if they resume. That is, also dealing with pretty strict restrictions at this point. Viz are Miguel Trauco and Christian Benevente. Because in France, they are obviously very heavily affected by the outbreak, as is Spain. Both of them have given interviews recently. I know you and I have both watched the interview with Miguel Trauco from Movistar. What were some of your takeaways from that uh, interview that you saw? Well, I, I think at a personal level, first of all, the fact that he...
0: Just loves his you know his hometown of Tarapoto so much, which is a smaller city in the Peruvian jungle. Looking for better opportunities, you know, better uh, chances of, of making it as a as a soccer player. He leaves uh, his town when he is nine or ten years old and ends up traveling to Lima. And you know now he's in France. I found it really touching the fact that you know the that uh, the the guy that's interviewing him there. Um, says, you know, so when you go on vacation, where do you go? And he goes, I go back to Tarapoto. Like, I I just like going there back there so much. And also, to me, interesting is the fact that, you know, while other players say, you know, I want to go play for La U, I want to go play for Alianza at the end of my career, he wants to go back to Union Comercio, right? I mean, this small-time club right, that that he played for for four, five, six years in a row since he was basically a teenager that's also from the Peruvian jungle, currently in the second division. But he says, you know, even if they find themselves in the second division in a few years when he's ready to retire, he'd still like to go back and spend some time with them. I don't want to be too controversial here, but... Claudio Pizarro, you know, you could maybe take a take a page or two from, from his book. <laughs> I understand that Claudio's role at Bayern Munich in the next few years might be very important. I know that there's been rumors that he's going to be like a big ambassador for them and stuff like that. But we all wish that we could have seen him back in Alianza Lima, you know. Claudio Pizarro, this this kid that was the star that, you know, represented us so well abroad. I want to say, to a certain level, you know, it would even six months, even six months at Alianza, you know, close out half of a campaign, man, that that would have meant a lot for for Peruvians, uh, for Alianza Lima fans, to be able to find a sweet ending to his career, especially after all the issues, all the all the stuff that has been said over the years.
1: Well, I think this entire generation of Peruvian players really, like this Gareca era team, the, the one sort of standout that you get from them whenever they speak to the press is that they're just so humble all the time. Like, I mean, you look at Orejas speaking whatever it's, you know, like, like this heartfelt personal interview where he's walking down the street of, you know, wherever it happens to be, um, or he's just talking to the press after the games or before the games, after training, what have you he's just so down to earth. And I think this is why so many people love this team is that they never forget where they come from. But in terms of how these players in general are dealing with isolation viz. I mean, a lot of them are obviously working out from home. They have to try and stay fit. Um, They're trying to entertain themselves as we have seen, like basically everybody set up a home gym or has a home gym. Uh, Canchita Gonzalez has posted some uh, workout videos on his Instagram. I mean, Talked about Abincula and his new, uh, well, growing social media fame, let's call it like it is. The other players that we have kind of seen speaking uh, to the press in Peru uh, includes Yoshimar Yotun, who's dealt with some injuries in 2020, unfortunately. He spoke to Movistar as well, Viz, and among the takeaways uh, from that interview that were, we're kind of uh, eyebrow-raising... Uh, he said that he one day liked to return to Sporting Cristal, who he played for for a few years and got his big start. But he also mentioned that he would potentially like to play for Sport Boys because of his father, Yotun, uh, who of course was born in Callao. He started his youth career at Cantolao as well. W- what would you make of Yotun of returning to Peruvian football and, and donning the Rosado of Sport Boys?
0: Well, I think that would be lovely. I mean, unfortunately, a Sport Boys is an institution that needs a lot of help uh, financially to to be able to 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 stabilize themselves to the point where they can become once again one of those powerhouses of Peruvian soccer that they were uh, in ages uh, t- days of old per se. The, so, if you look at the badge, there's six stars on the badge. It's not a it's not just an artistic choice, but it's supposed to represent the six titles that they have won, last one being, I think, in the 90s. I mean, <laughs> it feels like it was forever ago. And so I, I think that that loyalty to Peruvian clubs, you know, we talked we talked about Farfán and Paolo coming back to Alianza. We talked about Trauco going back to Un Comercio, And, you know, unfortunately, Carlos Lobaton didn't make his way back to Sporting Cristal. I mean to Sport Boys, which is the where, the club where he started. Uh, be, you know, choosing to be more of a you know being part of Sporting Cristal in slightly different role other than a player nowadays. So yeah, I think that that's a boost that that Sport Boys could really use. And honestly, it's it's just part of the Chalaco culture. You know, the, the Callao used to have many many important teams in the history of Peruvian football, and Sport Boys is probably the one that has survived the longest you know and that's still around and and honestly like what does it mean to be Chalanco really you know what does it mean to be born and raised in callao or boys salsa Tasi, sea chimpun callao like it's it's part of their culture really it's that that awful pink shirt at times <laughs> <laughs> not not the prettiest sight to see at times but for sure one of the classics of, of peruvian football
1: let's be honest, we've all owned one at some point just because it's so unique, no matter what we think about it. Uh, I know I oh, have. I,
0: it stands out. Let me, let me tell you real quick. I actually convinced some of my, my roommates a few years back to get sport boys shirts with us. Right. Cause it's like the, the joke is like, Oh, well we're the boys and this is a sport boys Jersey. And we walked into an in and out here in Utah mm-hmm. and some person came up to us and asked us if we were, a uh, bowling team. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like no, it's just these jerseys that we got cuz we were trying to be funny but and anyways that's that's probably my, my favorite anecdote while wearing a sport boys jersey.
1: Oh, incredible. You can't top that. Let's move over now towards the future for certain uh, seleccionados because this outbreak is going to affect a lot of society obviously football's secondary to a lot of that but this being the peruvian waltz podcast we got to talk about it so there were a couple of of juicy nuggets that were dropped over the last few days one that is basically concrete as if we know it's going to happen was uh not right back Percy prado getting a call up by ricardo Gareca. Probably going to fight with Luis Abíncula for that right back spot. He's gotten a couple of games uh, for Nantes in 2020, and he's looked okay. He actually got a start against PSG, and although he was clearly overwhelmed, understandably so, is held in high regard at the club. Also, the club of Christian Benevente as well. Is this the right move? Obviously, the right back depth basically goes as far as Vincula and Aldo Corso. He's based in Europe. He plays in a top league. I feel like, at least on the surface of it, it can't hurt. No, I, I honestly, I, I, I appreciate Aldo Corso. I mean, the guy
0: literally put his head on like the ground so that we could get get that that uh, free kick that say you know made it possible for us to go go into the playoffs against New Zealand, and for that I will you know will always be grateful. Uh, for his courage to to go at, a, at the ball with his head, you know, just in, what seemed like inches from the ground and getting kicked, you know, and being willing to go through that injury, really. I mean, man, that, he earns, you know, legendary status just for, for a move like that. Such a courageous move. But, I mean, all, all of that aside, it would be nice to have someone that does have some of that that ad vincula, Taste, you know, some of those characteristics. Uh, when when being, you know, they asked him during the interview, "Would you prefer? Do you compare yourself more to Corso or to Adinkula?" And he says, "You know, I, I have not seen Corso too much, but honestly, I like, I really like advíncula I, I identify more with advíncula And going forward, uh, that that's really good." I think that that's that's really good to have. I, I also know that at some point he's played a center back, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. We have plenty of center backs, I think, uh, as it is right now. Yep. I, I think we have a few names. I think that Sambrano Sanbra, Abram team needs to continue. But if he can kind of have a foot in both tents, in both camps – Maybe you know, as all the way in the right or a little bit more in the middle. I understand that there are different roles, but but that's valuable. That's very valuable. Someone that comes with that European mentality, that is a product of, of a youth academy and, and and training from from France. I think that's that's really valuable, and I wouldn't doubt that that Gareca will at least give him a
1: chance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's the fact that, as you mentioned, he does compare so much with that Binkula that makes him a valuable addition because obviously that's the one question that you always have to ask yourself when selecting a right back. Do you want more attacking vigor or do you want a little more solidity defensively? Corso is more known for his defensive solidity with the national team. Um, And listen, the man, not only did he put his head on the line, he's also ruptured a testicle for Universitario. He lives (laughs) up to the phrase, pongan los huevos, okay? So, I mean... (laughs) Con los de curso, that's, exactly. That's literally. Having Prado in the mix is helpful in that regard. Plus, look, Advíncula is also 30, right? So, as you age, as you get into your 30s, your pace starts to go down. And once Advíncula's pace goes away, he does lose a little bit of his trademark game, right? So having a bit of a younger option can never hurt. Uh, Bravo, by the way, one of those players whose contract uh, ends in June 2020, which uh, is interesting because it, according to a couple of reports... Players whose contracts are ending this June might get tendered an extra year because of the COVID-19 outbreak, so Prado might automatically get a one-year extension. And another player who would be affected by that is uh, Renato Tapia, whose contract is running out at Feyenoord. Now, one of the reasons he has stuck around for this long, despite his lack of playing time, uh, is because he wanted to acquire his EU passport, which I believe he officially got in February so the significance of this is he would not count as a non-EU player uh, on European clubs and that makes him a little bit more valuable on certain rosters. Now Viz assuming that contract does get tendered for another year what do you think the future holds in store for Tapia's club career because obviously he struggled for minutes at Feyenoord you imagine he wants to get some playing time elsewhere. He's been looked at by teams in Spain, France over the last year or so. What do you think happens? Well, it's been tough for him. I really enjoyed that short spell
0: that he had at Willem too, uh, where he actually went to a somewhat of smaller club and actually started getting minutes. I think that was very meaningful. Now it seems like we're we're making some some headway in France. I don't think that that would be out of his reach necessarily. We've also seen Peruvians do alright in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it would be interesting to see him and you know in either one of those two countries. But I, I think for sure he's he's the kind of player that his his future's in Europe. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, he's played his whole career in Europe. He's one of those cases like a little bit like Paolo, you know, left early and has been able to to stay relevant to a certain degree, you know, staying, staying in shape enough to be considered by different European clubs. And so I don't see him making a big jump necessarily to Spain or to England or something like that because of those lack of minutes. But yeah, no, I, I think it wouldn't be weird to to see him go...
1: Maybe, like I said, I don't know, maybe to France. That'd be interesting for me. Yeah, for sure. He's had interest from, I think it was Marseille a couple of years ago. I think this was right around the time of the World Cup. And he was monitored by teams in Spain after that, Mexico. Mexico maybe wouldn't be a terrible option if there's no other option in Europe. But theoretically, you'd want him to stay there. And yeah, Tapia has been a player who has spent literally his entire professional career not just in europe but in holland he went straight from EGB de Mentin to Twente, um and then eventually Feyenoord this kind of transitions nicely fizz into another uh EGB alumnus uh that is andre carrillo who says that he wants to stay long term at al-helal uh We know that he stayed there permanently uh, after his loan spell a year ago, um, and seems like he's happy there. Obviously, we've talked about this a lot, what this means for his future with the national team and whatnot. He's still at an age where he can maybe still possibly make an impact. He is 28, but you feel like the longer he stays there, the faster the book closes on his chance to maybe return to that top, top level. Would you agree? Yeah, I I would agree.
0: I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's his niche. I never liked the decision in the first place, but it's a club that did play the Club World Cup last year, you know. So if he, I guess the idea is that if you're going to go to a club in the Middle East or somewhere that, you know, maybe doesn't sound as as, uh, interesting or as prominent. Might as well do it to the best one. And now Hilal has shown that they are a serious club uh, with some serious aspirations in their confederation. And so, I don't know, I, I feel a lot more at peace with his decision to stay there. He's tried England. He's he's done England. I mean, he's probably, what, the last Peruvian player to actually have a somewhat of a serious spell in the UK in, in many, many years. I don't know. I think that maybe carrillo has hit his prime I don't know if I see him getting a a second stride and just like surprising us out of nowhere just because even when he's been fairly regular with Angel al Hilal I feel like his performances with the national team are you know 70 minute performances at best not not to say that he doesn't that he doesn't you know, really, really go for it and, and play with his heart or anything like that. But there, there seems to be somewhat of a block. There seems to be somewhat of a plateau, which means that his quality is not necessarily going down. It's just not improving. I don't think it's going to be
1: taking off a lot more anytime any soon especially when you factor in Kevin Quevedo going to Brazil, uh, Fernando Pacheco starting out incredibly a Fluminense and and also appearing on Gareca's radar. It looked like he was probably going to end up in the March squad based on his form. Uh, There's a lot of competition on the right wing, so Carrillo will still be considered as long as he's playing, but with more youth coming through in that position it's going to be a lot tougher to keep that place which i guess is is good in a way competition uh, always breeds some competitiveness and therefore raises your game lastly viz in terms of the players who sort of made some headlines over the last couple of days pedro aquino he was linked to palmeiras in brazil according to espn brazil now, this is a player who I think has long been touted for Europe. Injuries have gotten in the way uh, over the last year, year and a half, which is very unfortunate. But Aquino, since returning from his latest injury with Leon, has been incredible. According to the ESPN reports, Leon value him at about $5 million US, and Palmeiras are very interested in bolstering their midfield because currently their only proper options are 30-year-old Bruno Enrique and 36-year-old Felipe Melo, who is essentially a butcher on the pitch. So you have to say that if Aquino were to go there, he would be a massive upgrade. There's a lot of money in the Brazilian game. Mind you, with COVID-19 out breaking out, who knows what happens financially for these clubs. But the fact that he is being linked there, I guess, is a good thing. Would you be open to him going from Mexico to Brazil, or do you still think that Aquino has a chance at 24, 25 years of age, to get to Europe.
0: Yeah, I think, honestly, at this point, I, I really would agree with your assessment, the idea that, uh, unfortunately, those injuries uh, haven't you know, played in his favor. Uh, I think that going to Brazil is not a bad move. We, we've seen a lot of Peruvian players that have made that transition pretty well, with exception of Cuevita, unfortunately. Uh, but... <laughs> going to Europe at 26, you know, like in another year or two. Yeah, I don't think that that's out of the picture. I don't think that Brazil would be a step back anyways. You know, I think that the Peruvian players learn a lot from the Mexican style of play and and the rhythm of that league. And then you also, you know, Brazil is a whole different universe, really. You know, they tend to, from what I understand, they usually tend to make like the pitch bigger. <laughs> in Brazil, which I, I've heard a lot of. I remember hearing Diego Forlán, especially, complaining about how he had to get used to playing in the, those European fields that, which are narrower, and then all of a sudden coming to Brazil and feeling like he has so much more room. You know, like, that. those little changes are interesting. You know, the, the, those little changes can teach players a, a lot in their careers. I think Paulo Guerrero would tell you the same, you know. I think... He learned a lot from being in Europe and then came to South America and, you know, it it really, really hit his second stride and and, and learned a lot of things uh, that he he hadn't had the chance to learn in Europe. Uh, So I I think it would be, I think it would be good for him. And I don't think it would be a step in in the wrong direction. I think Almeidas are are a really important team in Brazil, obviously, and it's a team that makes it far into the, you know, into it international competitions usually uh and ever since their relegation a few years back they've really been i mean you know winning brazilian and everything like that i think they're 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 really at the the best or the best place they've, they've been in in quite a few years so so yeah that'd be great
1: Yeah, it wouldn't be the worst thing, although obviously you prefer to see him go to Europe if he has the option. Uh, But yeah, it wouldn't be a terrible move. And obviously the finances would be nice for him as well, because Brazilian clubs do pay pretty top dollar these days, especially clubs like Palmeiras, who make it deep in competitions and challenge for titles domestically. In terms of financials uh, domestically, viz., in Peru, uh, you know, the financial impact that COVID 19 is going to have on. You know, Clubs in Peru, especially those outside the Tres Grandes, um, is probably going to be pretty significant, let's be honest. And so we got some listener questions related to this. Um, Abel Gamarra at Abalanda 81 asked us, Given the financial impact COVID-19 is having on much richer clubs around the world, and the likely scenario that Peruvian football will not return before June-July at best, do you think some Peruvian clubs will not be able to recover financially from this crisis. Uh, Given, Viz, that a lot of clubs deal with financial issues when football is regularly being played, you would have to think that it will spell a lot of trouble, no?
0: Well, yes, of course. Then again, there has been rumors from FIFA that there will be a bailout. I understand that the Peruvian Federation is going to be meeting with the clubs tomorrow, so... We might have some news on that very topic in the next few days. Uh, tomorrow, from I mean, from the time that, that we're recording this, maybe by the time that it comes out, we might already have that information. I know that Liga Uno and Liga Dos clubs are going to be be talking about this very issue, and that there have there seems to be some kind of uh, you know financial help coming their way. I've been surprised to see that most clubs uh, have stayed active. I see a lot of players posting stuff about exercises. Uh, I mean, Alianza Lima even announced their, their new coach uh, in the middle of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I've i seen various examples of, of teams being active on social media and players being active on social media, hoping, you know, you know, for the best and, and still training and things like that. I've seen, I think Carlos Stein maybe fired one of their coaches, you know. Gotcha. Uh, it means it means that something is happening, right? Because it's very very common for Peruvian teams to just shut down, disappear off the face of the earth, like for example, Sport Rosario, it, you know, <laughs> it, it just disappeared, like the team no longer exists. What happened to the institution, to the fans, to the players? Who knows? It, it just disappeared. We never heard anything from them again. Unfortunately, that, that, that seems to be the business model sometimes in, in Peru, especially. So the fact that if that if you see a team posting on their Twitter like once a week, like that's great news. Like there's someone there that's still working. <laughs> that's someone there that's still alive. And I think we will have to see what this what this bailout, what this, you know, financial stimulus looks like. Uh, for the teams, how much money that will be, and go from there. Really, I think at this point, we we need to uh, personally, I think we just need to cancel all the plans that we had for, you know, Liga 1, Liga 2, whatever the championship was going to look like and the tournament was going to look like. Cancel all of that. Let's try to make the best that we have with, you know, the six months that we have left. I've heard people say that they want to go into the European schedule. I'm personally a traditionalist. I'm personally someone that says, you know, we're in the Southern Hemisphere. Why should we be playing in the middle of our winter just to please, you know, the guys on the other side? I think that we should stick to the schedule that we have, which usually starts in February or March and goes, you know, through to the end of the year, to December. And so let's do the best that we can with these six months. Let's make it the tournament exciting, whatever whatever that means, you know. Uh, if It means that we need to add more knockout uh, group stages, uh, you know, home and away, like matches that, that are going to look more interesting. We, I think we're in survival mode, you know, and honestly, okay. I, I think Peruvians are good at survival. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm confident yeah. that something will come out of that.
1: Yeah, very true. If there's one thing Peruvians have dealt with a lot, it's, uh, well, hardships. In terms of Alianza Lima, speaking of which, I just want to touch on a, a really great story the players voluntarily taking a pay cut so that non-playing employees at the club could keep their job. That was something very touching. Leo Boutron spoke about this. Yeah. I think it was on RPP, actually. They asked him, uh, how did this plan come about? And he says, well, basically, you know, if we can lend a helping hand, then that's what we want to do. And and that's amazing, especially considering a lot of those employees would have faced the axe, given this, this outbreak is... A lot of companies and, and clubs certainly try to cut back costs so great to see and, that and and the good thing about yeah
0: that, that's really good unfortunately maybe alianza lima and sporting cristal are probably the only two teams that are in condition of in you know they have enough money in the bank where they can actually do something like that maybe melgar too mm-hmm. universitario is just swimming in a pool of that that wow. goes, you know, the water goes all the way up to the highest tier of the, of the Monumental at this point. Like that's how much money they own, right? Uh, and and so I don't think that they can afford something like that. But luckily for all the other teams, we have to remember that they don't own their stadiums, mm-hmm. right? They don't have to keep up with all the maintenance work that goes with that. Luckily right because most of the stadiums are owned are owned by the government so that that actually which is usually a curse is in our case a blessing um that they don't own their own stadium so that allows them to cut cut back on on some of those things that means that the government will probably be paying you know for all of those services of keeping up the stadiums and stuff like that uh so i think that's that's a uh, that's great news and you know i'm i'm really Thankful for Alianza Lima. I'm really grateful that there's people out there that are willing to do that.
1: Absolutely. 100%. Internationally, Viz, this is going to cause, I think, a lot of a domino effect. Obviously, the scheduling, which you talked about domestically, there are going to be some hurdles to overcome there. But internationally, it's, it's probably a little bit worse for wear just because there are so few dates that you can fit in these qualifiers. You've already postponed March. Junes are probably going to get moved as well at this stage, uh, barring a, a miracle at this point. The draw for the 2022 World Cup is in April of that same year. So with the March qualifiers already suspended, Comibor and FIFA basically would have only had three options in terms of fitting in those unplayed games or those postponed games. That is either... Uh, have them almost overlap with Copa America in 2021. That is uh, playing multiple qualifiers. So doing instead of maybe two every match day, you do three as a way to fit them all in, or you introduce an additional international break in say December, when most leagues will have a break or they will be in between seasons, right? Obviously in the Americas, that is the case Uh, in MLS. That's the case. Um, so that could also be an option there of those three, which do you think is the most feasible to get the qualifiers all fit in, in time for April, 2022?
0: So first of all, I'm, I'm going to reject the idea of doing three. I think that's too much. I mean, the, the amount of stress that these players go through, go through with two, right? I usually will do like a Thursday and a a Tuesday on the same week. Right And usually means that they need to do, especially in South America, you're going from Lima to Bogota, you know, or to Buenos mm-hmm. Aires, which is hours and hours of flying. And it's a different climate, a different atmosphere, a different altitude altogether. Now, like, imagine if you get one of those times where if you play three games you need to do away in Brazil, come back to Lima, and then do away. I don't know in uh, in Montevideo. Like, holy cow! You know that that sounds pretty stressful to me. That sounds pretty stressful to me. It sounds pretty tiring for the players, and it's probably not going to make for pretty matches at the end. You know, maybe the first one or two are going to look great, and then the last one is just going to be. You know, sloppy soccer, and so I, I personally would lean towards trying to just find other gaps in the calendar to so that we can keep that two-match, two-match schedule. I think the very last option that you said, Peter, is probably the best one. Unfortunately, we wasted our chances when it came to to match days because we could have used at least four of the six that we had at the end of the year last year. Honestly, they've done it in in. Previous years, I remember the 2004 Copa America, Peru gets eliminated by Argentina 1-0 out of the the Copa America that we hosted, right? And literally within six weeks, Argentina was back to play a qualifier. So, which means that in, uh, you know, in other times, in about a decade ago or so, we were playing, you know, big international tournaments and then going right into the qualifiers and this time around we you know comebol decided to push everything back a few months because the world cups also getting pushed back a few months but imagine if we could have used those four dates right there maybe november and december we wouldn't find ourselves in that predicament and also unfortunately for south america you know a lot of those those friendlies are just not not that useful you know they're not those those december those november friendlies are just not Not that useful, really, especially when you have to uh, wait like four months for the team to get back together in March. It maybe would have been good to just go into an official competition instead of just doing a filler friendly. But like I was saying, it would have been nice that we would have already started uh, those qualifiers. But also at the same time, maybe FIFA will consider moving the, the draw uh, for the world cup to maybe just right before the tournament, you know, maybe even a month before the tournament, uh, which I know for some might be, might be tough, but, uh, so just so that we can give, give everyone a little bit more room to, to be able
1: to, to handle the schedule. That might have to be the only option because other federations are going to be dealing with the same issues. Uh, CONCACAF, for example, that qualifying process takes forever. The Asian process takes forever, and obviously they were heavily affected by COVID-19. They've already had a couple of matches postponed. Europe is now the epicenter for it. They're definitely going to have to move around some things, the Nations League and whatnot, Um, not to mention the Euro got postponed too. But yeah, for sure, they're going to have to try and find a solution, and that might mean moving the draw um, until... Maybe a month or two before, because on top of the regular qualifiers, they also have to fit in the playoff. So that's another match day to consider too, which is just a a nightmare. I would not want to be a scheduler within FIFA or any of these confederations right now. Another listener question related to the crisis, Renato the Sun at Renato underscore sun asked, with the crisis having an impact on the next transfer window, do you expect the big Peruvian clubs... Or sorry, the big clubs to look at Peruvians as cheaper alternatives? Uh, this, the likes of Andre Carrillo, um, I believe also Luisa Vincula's values have gone down by about a million euros. Um, so maybe the transfer market could favor the Peruvian player, especially for teams that are going to be strapped for cash.
0: Yeah, uh, I think... For those players that are already abroad, again, yeah, then yes, of course. I mean, we've always talked about how much of a steal the fact that you know that that um, Oreja Flores went for such a low, low fee to to DC United honestly feels like you're getting a great player for this. It's a bargain, you know. You're getting that, a great player for that little money. Um, I, I think that for sure will up the stock of some of the players that are already kind of in the international atmosphere. You know the rumors always come and go so you know that these these guys especially the kind of the crew that the squad that played in the world Cup or have somewhat of a reputation abroad when it comes to domestic players though um, unfortunately I don't I don't know I don't think I mean just just look at how hard it was to to get Quevedo out you know obviously, he kind of screwed that up himself. You know, he butchered a lot of those negotiations himself and his family and all of that. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a good system locally in Peru, domestically, to be able to sell players abroad, right? Maybe with the exception of Sporting Cristal, I don't think any of the other player, other clubs are thinking about, oh, geez, you know, let's let's uh, boost our, our youth division so that we can, you know, make make this into an investment and make this into a source of revenue. So I, I, I don't know if uh, if we're going to be seeing a lot of transfers from the exterior, especially when we haven't had a lead, you know, how do you show off those players? Uh, you have to go about whatever tapes you have from last year. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that that's really going to help, especially when you probably have young players in Europe that, um, you know, they're probably going to have a better chance at making themselves known and uh, being being bought by these teams uh, short on cash.
1: Absolutely. In terms of domestic players, Viz, uh, one who probably should end up being on the radar over the next few months assuming we get back to international play, Renato the Sun asked us again, should Ricardo Gareca call up Aldair Rodriguez of Binacional, considering the lack of options aside from Paolo. Um, what would you think of that potential, well, solution to the number nine problem? I think we need to try whatever it is that we've got. I,
0: I think that Aldair is not very, very young. I think he's halfway through his career at this point. You know, I mean, 25, you know, he's he's not 22, 21, 22, you know. Uh, I think that there's a chance to give him a... If there's a chance to give him a chance... <laughs> Uh, I think this is it, right? I, I think if we wait to pull a Solano with Montes for the Panamericanos, <laughs> if we try to do something like that again, it's a little too late, you know? It's I think Montes' is years to be a Peruvian national team star have come and gone, and unfortunately, Solano didn't quite see that. But, yeah, why not? I mean, I'm honestly open to almost anything at this point. We do have a qual- the qualifiers ahead of us. So, yes, I, I hope that we still count on Paolo, that we can still count on him for the next few years. But at the same time, any friendly that we might have, let's just try other people. Like we, we need to try other people. And I'd be more than happy to try uh, Aldeir Rodriguez.
1: Considering the likes of Ruiz Diaz and others have gotten their national team debuts at about the same age, 25 years old, I don't think it would be a bad idea. Rodriguez, as well as we know, is very used to playing at altitude, so if he were to go to, say, Quito or to La Paz, he could be a very valuable option in that regard. And not to mention, he fits the mold of a Paolo-type striker. Not only that, he's also pretty prolific domestically, and, and even internationally, too. Last year, he in 33 appearances, he had 11 goals, about .41 goals every 90 minutes that he played. And if you look at his underlying numbers with his expected goals that about matched up with what he had, you obviously have to put in the altitude into that sort of a metric because that definitely played a factor. Um, but this year he's a, on a pretty torrid pace. He has six goals in seven games, um, obviously scoring that crucial, crucial goal um, against Sao Paulo in the Libertadores um, in uh, Juliaca. So He's looked pretty good this year and I think considering the lack of other options around him or sorry other options around the national team I feel like he could be quite valuable in that regard so it it wouldn't hurt but it has to be soon because otherwise the time will pass and then as you said Viz we're going to have another Mauricio Monte situation and that's something we want to avoid. So that will do it for us this evening. Thank you for listening everybody and apologies for the hiatus. We're going to try and make this a regular thing, especially with uh, COVID-19 shutting down all the football. Hopefully, we can have more episodes like this. Uh, I'm Peter Galindo. You can follow me at GalindoPW on Twitter. You can follow the show at PeruWaltz. And Viz, where can the people follow you? And also, maybe you would like to talk to us about uh, a recent project you have done for the Waltz.
0: Yes, yes. I, I kind of wanted to do my part in keeping you guys entertained and, and you know bring some some good content to you and while you know a lot of us are stuck at home waiting for for things to get better, kind of a way to uh, you know just think about something else you know. And uh, I actually had the, the 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 privilege of of talking to two two great gentlemen really. Uh, both of them um, soccer historians that are passionate about the 1930 World Cup. And the fact that Peru was one of 13 countries that played in, in that World Cup, in the very first World Cup, to think that we were there from the very beginning. And we've actually, we were planning for maybe a short one-hour interview. And and honestly, the, the conversation was just so, so great and and the topics just so rich that we went for almost two hours. So we've split it up, and we we done part one, part two. And honestly, if, if you are looking for something to listen to, take take a look at uh, uh, what we've got coming uh, from the Peruvian Waltz. Anyways, my name is Christopher Viscardo, and and you can find me on Twitter at uh, v i z underscore f c.
1: And I second that notion. Obviously, we're a bit biased, but having edited both parts and listening to it very, very closely, it was fantastic entertainment. It was very informative, too. And to think that, again, like you said, this Peru was at that World Cup, the first ever World Cup, is quite awesome. So, yeah, look for that over the weekend. Uh, both parts will be released at some point over the long weekend for easter here uh, a nice little easter egg in your guys's podcasting baskets (laughs) um but that will do it for us this is the peruvian waltz team and we are signing off (laughs)